Well, as you can see from our PowerPoint title on the screen, we're going to talk about Pharisees and forgiveness. Forgiveness in particular in the context of marriage. Here's the layout. I'm going to set the table here for a few minutes, taking you to the Word of God, establishing a platform scripturally for what we're talking about, and then Pastor Jason and Meredith are going to come, and they're going to interview a particular couple. They'll introduce them at that time, and they'll kind of, uh, if you will, put some flesh on this skeleton, some application for marriage. We hope that you'll find it beneficial and encouraging as we talk together about the importance of forgiveness in marriage. I have nine grandchildren, a tenth on the way in the summertime. Three of my grandkids live here locally in Ankeny. The youngest one of those three, her name is Caitlin, and she's five. Uh, she's endeared herself to her grandma and me, and uh, just recently, Caitlin became a basketball player for the very first time. As a five-year-old, she joined a five-year-old basketball league. It, it's good for some laughs, let me tell you right up front here. It is cute as can be. Um, have you ever watched a, a group of five-year-olds try to play a team sport? Whether it's soccer or basketball or something else, uh, you know, they kind of, when it comes in relation to the ball, they kind of all congregate to the ball no matter what they're told. They always end up right around the ball trying to get as close to it as they possibly can. They forget about teamwork, and they're, they're kind of like, I would, I would call them a, a room full of cats with one mouse. Can you picture that in your mind's eye? Room full of cats, only one mouse. Um, I think cats are like five-year-olds in that uh, five-year-olds, you, you don't herd cats and you don't herd five-year-olds, they just kind of do their thing. Uh, in basketball, they've, they've been told what to do, at least to a limited degree, in defending the basket. And uh, if you've ever been to this kind of a competition, you'll notice that they stand about two feet in front of the rim, hands erect in a row, kind of like a row of statues. Can you picture that in your mind's eye? Just, just standing there. Um, Kind of like a wall, like President Trump would like to build on our southern border, just standing there, rigid as can be, trying to defend the goal, but they don't move a muscle. They look like they're under arrest, hands high to the ceiling. <laughs> and it's so funny, it kind of reminds me of the Revolutionary War years when uh, they did battle in a more primitive way, when you had five rigid soldiers marching toward five rigid soldiers, looking very professional, very dutiful, but lacking a lick of military sense. Of course, uh, the five-year-old kids, including five-year-old girls, they, they don't dribble the ball very well. So when they're on offense, they actually, the person who's got the ball doesn't even try to dribble, they just run around like a halfback in football trying to penetrate the line and, if you will, score, score a touchdown. It's really funny to watch. And if any of the players get bored, quite frankly, they just leave the game, run over to the sideline, say hi to mom, leisurely gather themselves together, maybe get a drink or a little munchie, and then, as they will and wish, they run back onto the court 
in their own sweet time. And I tell you, it is a hoot. It's a hoot. Now, what's the point of my illustration? These little five-year-olds do not yet understand the overall objective of the game. And here's where I want to draw some linkage to us when it comes to the subject of relationships and especially the Christian life. Oftentimes, as believers, we forget the ultimate objective of the Christian life. And what is that ultimate objective? Well, you see it on the screen. When Jesus was asked the greatest of the commandments, Matthew 22, he said, number one is loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And the second is like unto it to love our neighbor as ourselves. If we forget that, in essence, we stand around rigidly with our hands up, judging God and judging others, including our spouses, until we just get bored of the competition and we run off to the sideline to indulge our own selfish desires. Tonight, I want to confess to you my own tendencies and I believe the tendencies of many of my teammates, at least as I see it, and our rigidity is expressed in our tendency toward playing the Pharisee. We see the sins of our brothers and our sisters and our spouses, and we stand around them with our hands up and our fingers pointed out to them, saying stuff like, did you see what they just did? I can't believe what they did. I would never do such a thing. Shame on them. And we forget the objective of the game. Here's my premise for this little mini message tonight. We'll put it on the screen for you. We cannot forgive someone we think we're better than. We cannot forgive someone we think we're better than. I want to quickly reference two stories in the Gospel of Luke that illustrate my point where the Pharisees had trouble forgiving. You don't have to open your Bibles. I'll flash the words on the screen here for you. We're going to start in Luke chapter 7. It's the story of Jesus' encounter with a Pharisee named Simon. Here we go. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And before I go on, you have to understand that when they ate in that time period, they reclined on their sides with their head toward the table and their feet pointed backwards allowing access for this woman to the feet of Jesus in verse 38, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, this was in his own head, he wasn't articulating it out loud, but according to John 2, Jesus knows everything we're thinking, He said to himself, if this man, Jesus, were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, he knew what he was 
thinking, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. He told a story. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to Simon, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Here's my point now, don't lose this phrase. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. That's a corollary to my point. You cannot forgive someone you think you are better than. Verse 48, and Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Simon thought he was better than this woman. This woman was likely a prostitute. She was a woman of the street. But she knew who Jesus was, and she knew her condition and where she could find forgiveness Simon did not. Simon thought he was God's gift to the kingdom, but he thought this woman had no right to enter. And so Jesus told this parable, and he brought home the point to Simon, and I think Simon got the point. There's another story in the Gospel of Luke that you're even more familiar with. It's the story of the prodigal son. This is in Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to have you look at the first few verses of this chapter, which are explanatory toward the parable which occurs later, beginning in verse 11. And the reason I flash these up here, because these three verses explain why Jesus told this parable. And the point was all about the Pharisees. So verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners, that would be people like uh, this woman, a prostitute, were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. How despicable. So he told them this parable. Actually, he told them three parables. He told them the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, the last of which, of course, the parable of the prodigal son is more familiar to us. You know the storyline very well, how this younger son came to his daddy and said, I want my inheritance now. And he was saying, in effect, I want you dead, because you didn't get your inheritance until your daddy was dead. He, he said, I want it now. And his dad indulged him. He gave him his portion of the inheritance. And he went out, and he indulged himself, as we would say, with wine and women and song. And he spent all he had, and he ended up in a pig pen wishing he could eat what the pigs were eating. And he came to the end of himself to a point of repentance and said, what in the world have I done? Why am I here? 
I know what I'll do. I'll, 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 I'll tell daddy that I, I've sinned against him. I'm no worthy, longer worthy of being a son. I'll just be a servant. And he made up his mind to go back. And when he went back, dad saw him a long way off. And you know the story. This is so beautiful. The prodigal God who runs after this boy, this father did, and hugs him and he returns to him immediately all that was his as a son, plus he throws this gigantic party for him, celebrating his lost son's return. And that's where I pick up the story again now in verse 25, the story of the older brother, which I fear is often you and me. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Now notice the disdain in his voice. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Jesus, talking about the father, which is the way the heavenly father speaks to us, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead. Your brother was dead and this, and he is now alive. He was lost and is found. Who, who's the older brother depicting in this parable? The Pharisee. I have to confess something to you tonight. Um, I think I have struggled many times with the older brother syndrome in my life. I think a lot of people who've grown up like I have also struggle with the same thing. You have to understand, I, I grew up in a Christian home, very solid home on a farm up in northwest Iowa. I, I knew all the rules, and I'll be honest with you, my personality type is to play by the rules. That's just the way I am. As we used to say years ago, I, I didn't smoke or chew or go with girls that do. Ever heard that one? I didn't drink alcohol. I didn't smoke dope. I didn't cuss. I didn't have premarital sex. I had my devotions, and I didn't commit any major crimes. I went to church. I went right out of high school to Bible college and before I even graduated, I was involved in ministry right here in Ankeny, at Ankeny Baptist Church as a youth pastor. Right out of the chute, two years before I graduated with a couple of degrees. Early on in my ministry, I, I preached all the rights and the wrongs just the way I was supposed to preach them. So what does all that get me if... There's the qualifier. If I'm just standing around with my hands up judging the people around me who don't act like me, what does that get me? Honestly, it gets me a loss of joy and a whole lot of pride with hardness of heart. It turns me into a Pharisee. It's not biblical Christianity. 
and I've had to repent and I continue to have to repent over and over again and I tell people all the time in my office with whatever they come in to tell me and often I tell it to them in tears, I am not here to judge you. You will not receive condemnation from me. I want to help you with wherever you are. You can tell me whatever you've done. I am not here to judge you because I know me. And I know what God's forgiven me for. Some of you have been hurt badly by your mate. And it's really hard for you to forgive. I deal with forgiveness all the time in my office because it's hard to forgive. How do we do this seemingly impossible thing of forgiving a brother, a sister, a spouse who's messed up who's hurt us more deeply than we can even say. We've got to remember that we are no different than the woman who came and anointed Jesus' feet with her tears and with her alabaster box of ointment. We're no different. We must remember the get-along guarantee of Ephesians 4.32. I love this verse. We'll put it on the screen here for you. The bottom line. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It sounds similar to Galatians 6, 1, when we are told, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ambushed by a fault, you who are a spiritual restore such an one, but do it in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Know your own heart. And I actually tell people with some degree of regularity, you know what, you've just confessed to me, I've been within a 32nd of an inch of doing the very same thing, and so has all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, with the stuff that's inside in our hearts. So we must remember to take a look at ourselves and get the plank out of our own eye before we try to get the speck of sawdust out of our neighbor's eyes. I, I want to put a wrap on this because I want to give time for discussion here. Several pointers and I'll be done here so we can have some interaction, but if you have this I'm the chief of sinners mentality, which is what Paul had, Christ Jesus that came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Can you say it about yourself? I'm chief. I'm the worst sinner I know. And that's all I know. I'm the worst sinner I know. If you have that mentality, then several pointers. Maybe you can jot these down really quickly. Number one, forgiveness is a choice. Like love, it's not primarily a feeling. You won't feel like forgiving, you won't feel like loving, but you choose to because God forgave you and because God loves you. So don't wait for emotions to prompt a decision to forgive. You just choose by faith to do it. Remember, forgiven sinners forgive sin. Are you forgiven? And it should come naturally to you to forgive. Number two, forgiveness is both a decision and a process. You decide at a point in time, but I've got to regularly tell people when they come in, I'll say, this is going to come up into your heart again and again, maybe daily, maybe monthly, so you're going to have to choose to forgive again and again. And I use an illustration of, of fishing, catch and release. When, when 
the bitterness from that person gets caught in the hook of your heart. Every day you're going to have to unhook that person from your heart and release them back to God. You're going to have to choose to do that, not just one time, but again and again and again, because that's what forgiveness involves. It's not a matter of forgetting, but rather choosing not to dwell on whatever it is that has hurt you. And then thirdly, forgiveness does not mean that your hurt will go away immediately and completely. You'll probably still hurt deep inside, and God knows that, and he'll comfort you. Do remember there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. You forgive instantly, trust is rebuilt over a period of time through an act of obedience. But forgiveness allows the bridge of trust to, re-be, to be rebuilt over a period of time. I repeat, forgiveness allows the bridge of trust to be rebuilt over a period of time. My point tonight is that forgiveness starts with having an understanding of our own sin and then offering the same forgiveness you have received to the person who has hurt you. Remember, you cannot forgive someone you think you are better than. Pastor Jason and Meredith are gonna come with our guests and they're gonna talk about this in real life. God bless you guys as uh, you share application. Thank you, Pastor Kurt. Boy, what a gift to Sailorville Church and uh, to the church overall, Pastor Kurt and Karen are, aren't they? Pastor Kurt has um, over 40 years of ministry experience and many of those in the counseling room and has uh, talked to several of you over the years that he's been here as well. And uh, Kurt, definitely appreciate your words of wisdom from Scripture and your, um, your authenticity there as well. So thank you very much. We love you and we love what uh, God is doing through you and in you. And in our midst, uh, we, Meredith and I, want to introduce to you some of our, really, some new friends. We've just gotten to know you recently, and uh, my goodness, their story is something that I think you're really going to resonate with, and uh, Meredith and I appreciated the time that we got to spend with you the other day. We brought donuts, and that was a mistake because it was right before lunch. Uh, Not a mistake for me, though. I can do that (laughs) and eat lunch as well, so... Um, Marty and Maddie Demerit. Marty, why don't you just start us off by telling us a little bit about your family? And uh, you came to a defining moment about a year and a half or so ago. Why don't you tell us what brought you to that moment and what happened during that time? Thank you, Jason. Uh, As you said, Marty and Maddie Demerit, we've been in Ankeny about four years now, married nearly 11, uh, three children, ages six, six, four, and two, and and one on the way in July. So uh, God's been good to us in that respect. Um, I'm an attorney by vocation. That's why we moved here um, from Nebraska originally, but came over about four years ago to take a position with a, a local law firm. Um, and many, many good things have happened to us in that time, but the transition from school and from, a, I guess, a simpler uh, life with less responsibility to where we are now brought its struggles. Um, I do high-stakes litigation work. Um, bet, bet the company litigation is what it's often called. Um, and as I went into that world, um, I found I wasn't as equipped as I thought I was to handle it well. 
uh, for a couple of different reasons. My job is the kind of job that you can never really turn off. Uh, it's always present. There's always more that you can do for your clients. And my personality is such that I always feel like there's more that I should be doing for my clients. Um, but it also awakens some darker motivations in me um, as I was in a world where uh, I was able to, to feed, I guess, my hunger for success, um, my hunger for recognition. Uh, I've always struggled with feeling as though if I'm not the best at something that it's not worth it. And it's very interesting because the gospel has always made sense to me in the context of church and spirituality. But understanding the gospel in the sense of my value with my work, there's always been a disconnect there where I really equated my success with my value um, as a man. Uh, so I was working long hours, um, was struggling to learn how to do it well, and at the same time wanting to be a good father, uh, wanting to be a present husband, uh, and found it was very, very difficult to detach myself uh, from work. I just I would come home and I would be ruminating, thinking about work, uh, not present with my wife, not present with my kids, and, and uh, brought a lot of guilt. And so uh, I found very quickly that, that alcohol was sort of a magic uh, remedy that I could use to turn it off. Uh, I would come home after a long day of work, particularly on the weekends, uh, and I'd start drinking because it would shut off my brain. I remember almost the, it's like my brain was exhaling sometimes as I would take those first drinks. I could relax, I could be present with my family, with my kids, uh, and felt like it was something that I could control. Well, over the course of the next two years of my work, uh, that control started to slip away. Um, as my pressure and responsibility increased, so too did my hunger uh, for alcohol generally, to be able to detach. And as opposed to being present with my family, I more and more found uh, every month, then every other weekend, then every weekend, <laughs> every night of every weekend, uh, I was in my own world with alcohol um, and really felt my family and, and my connection to them slipping away. Um, but I hid it. I didn't want Maddie to know. I felt a great deal of shame uh, that I was doing it. I also did not want to stop doing it. I didn't know what to do besides that. Uh, and so there was this secret life of mine where my, my drinking was steadily increasing and I was taking more and more steps to hide that um, from Maddie. Uh, and it came to a head over the course of several months. I, I'm in a group, a group with a bunch of, life group with a bunch of great guys who really encouraged me to be in the Word. I, I was increasing my time in the Word, tr trying to wrestle with what was going on in my conscience and my shame with that. And as you'll find, when you expose yourself to God's Word, it's difficult for sin to coexist with that. Uh, so it came to a head, you, some of you may remember, uh, I'm going to cop to another sin. I'm from Nebraska and uh, I'm a Husker football fan. <laughs> and so it was the night the Huskers uh, played Iowa a couple years ago and we just got our butts kicked. Uh, some of you may remember that well. Um, we went over to our neighbors and I was having a few beers and I, I could not stop. Uh, I, just, I just continued all day into the night uh, and probably have not been more afraid of anything in my life than what I was starting to see awaken in me. Uh, and so I thank God that he brought conviction with that at the same time. Um, Matt and I had a few uh, tussles during the day. Um, and I came to that night, and I just I felt shame that this floodgate just opened inside me, that what I was doing was wrong, that I was failing, um, and that I needed to confess what was happening to Maddie, but both for the sake of, of doing so, but also because I was afraid uh, that I, this was about to slip out of my control and that it was going to become a legitimate problem. Uh, and so sobbing, which is unusual for me, but sobbing that night, I, I confessed to Maddie that I had been keeping this from her, uh, that I was afraid and that I was failing her, and and the kids, 
uh, and that I needed help and that I needed to stop. So Maddie, Marty has just had a very vulnerable moment. I can imagine the weight of all of that kind of coming to a head with all of this. How did you respond and what was going on in your life at the same time as this was going on in Marty's life? <clears throat> well, um, after he told me that, I, I had seen like some patterns starting um, that I could tell weren't healthy. Um, we were distance from we're distance from one another. We are um, really distance from God at that time. Um, but I think we were both really desiring that closeness with God and that closeness with one another. And so in that moment when he told me, I, I wept with him. I, I, you know, scripture says that we weep over our sin because it's sad and it's hard to, to see someone that you love go through that. Um, I, I, I just, I remember in that moment just weeping and feeling, feeling sad and feeling like my husband is genuinely um, confessing this sin in his life, and I wanted more than anything in that moment to see him um, not in bondage to that sin anymore. And you ask, what, what was God doing in my life? Well, Pastor Pat says it very <laughs> well that um, we have a sinner married to a sinner. <laughs> and so I was not living my life sin-free um, at that time either. Like Marty said, we moved here um, from a pretty simple life in Nebraska. I was working as a nurse and um, excelling in that, I guess you could say, and loving it. I loved my job. Um, and then we moved here and we felt that it was best, we were expecting our third child, and we felt that it was best for me to stay home. And that was a hard transition for me. I, I know a lot of women um, that's their dream to stay at home and be a stay-at-home mom, and it, that was not my, the case for me. And <clears throat> so during that time, I was also struggling with some sin in my life. Um, I remember moving here and just struggling. Having three little ones, age three and a half and under, was just hard and kind of overwhelming. So I remember, you know, just Oh, how can I just get out of the house? How can I, you know, just satisfy my need for what I want to do? And just, you know, how can I kind of have that outlet and that, um, just that, um, I'm blanking on the word, but just having the outlet to have that time for myself, really, and um, what can help me cope in this hard time. And so I remember just going to materialism and shopping. And I mean, I would just go to Target a couple days a week, and we all know how easy it is <laughs> at Target to, you know, spend one to $200. I mean, it was just, that was my way of coping was in, in materialism. And um, so I think Pastor Kurt said it really well. Over the last year and a half to two years, really, um, what was going on in my heart? It was God re helping me recognize that I, I was, I'm a sinner too. Um, I'm, in that time, I think God really helped, like, humble my heart and helped me recognize my own sin so that I could handle when Marty came to me with something really big and concerning. Um, I also increased 
I was increasing my time in the Word, I was just hungry for God's Word because the shopping brings temporal um, joy and happiness, you know, but God's Word is eternal and everlasting, and it's true, and it's pure, and it's, it's what was helping me be able to, um, I think, be able to forgive Marty and really want to walk through this process with him. I think, Marty and Maddie, both of you, you your story is, is probably very similar to some of ours here this evening, and we might fill in the blanks a little bit differently. Marty, you said you, um, you, you lost yourself at work and, and just started to get your identity from working hard and uh, sort of climbing the ladder at work and pleasing your clients and having everybody else at work see you as someone that was very successful at the expense of your family. And Maddie, the, your husband's gone, and he's finding his identity somewhere else, and, and that left you to find your identity somewhere else, in a, in a sense. And we kind of all are there in, in our own ways, aren't we? We, um, without Christ at the center of our lives as the ultimate, we look for our identity in something else. Uh, how did you respond in, in your heart, Marty, when, when Maddie began talking to you about some of the things that, that she'd been going through? Was it a... Um, was it a, I'm going to grind guilt into her, or I'm going to shame her into this, um, and uh, continue to bring that up, or, or was there a different response from you? Well, it was a process, yeah. because there were times in our marriage where, uh, I would almost say there was a codependence of our sin issues, that the money issues would come up, and I would tell her, if you, work, if you spend money, I'm going to have to work more. Yeah. So make your choice. And then when she'd make her choice, I would feel betrayed, and we would continue this pattern where it was going back and forth, and we were just playing off each other. Um, over the course of probably about a six-month period, God just helped me understand that it wasn't about me, that what Maddie was struggling with wasn't the betrayal of me. It was a deep-seated sin issue that she was struggling with before God, and that I needed to get out of the way, and I needed to help. I needed to have home be a safe place where we could talk about those things and have genuine, productive accountability, but, but grace, and it, grace had to underlie that process. Um, and so I found that as we were able to have those conversations consistently and, and become part of the same team, uh, the, the patterns started changing. Um, and I didn't feel that same anger and resentment. Uh, I, I felt concern and grace and softness towards her just grow in my heart. Um, as we continue to work through that process together. But, but I can tell you it was, it was a process. Yeah. yeah, so you had an initial conversation with Maddie about um, some of the idols in your life. Yeah. What, what did that conversation look like? Because my guess is that there are people in this, in this sanctuary right now that are saying, I, I'm hiding something from my spouse, or there's something going on in my life that I, I don't want them to know about. Mm -hmm. They need to know about, but I don't know how to talk to them about that. Maybe they won't forgive me. Maybe this will ruin our relationship. How did that conversation go? And then maybe how can, how can you give some, yeah. um, some uh, input to some people that might be out here that are dreading a conversation like that? Yeah, well, I was afraid for two reasons. I mean, obviously, I didn't know how she would respond and if I would meet rejection um, or what, what the impact would be on our marriage. Um, I also did not want her to see me, me as a failure. Uh, I had my pride mm -hmm. that, you know, I felt like I wanted to present an image that I was leading our family well. Um, and this was the, the exact opposite, I was, I was failing. Um, 
And, and so it was, it was a scary place uh, to be with her, um, but, but I was met absolutely with grace. But, but at the same time, what that conversation had to entail and what I had to follow, as, as Kurt said, is that that conversation was a conversation of confession. Repentance had to follow as well, which involved turning from those patterns. Uh, and so what that looked like for me um, was telling the life group guys the following Tuesday, or just right away, <laughs> guys, I have a problem with drinking. I've never talked to you about it, but I need you to know this, and I need you to pray for me, and I need you to keep me accountable. Had to have the same conversation with my family. My dad's a pastor. That was a very hard conversation to have with my dad as well. Um, I felt a lot like a prodigal son at that moment. I had to tell a few select people at work so that they would understand this could become a problem, uh, and I want support in turning from it. The law field is a very alcohol-dependent culture. A lot centers around alcohol. And so I wanted support in the office as well. And then I had to let Maddie ask me about it and talk to her about it because my oftentimes I wanted to revert to let me put my head down I got this just trust me right and that had to change there had to be more openness in our relationship where I actually allowed her to talk to me ask me hard questions and give her honest answers Um, and and that was not comfortable Um, but the payout of learning how to do that uh, had a lot of ripple effects in our lives uh, as well beyond the drinking issue because in many ways it was a superficial issue of a deeper problem so Okay, so Maddie, we're at the stage where it's all out in the open now. How did the Lord allow you to move forward? What, who did he give you? What parts of scripture did he give you? What safeguards did he give you? What, what hard things did he ask you to do in this process? Are you talking about in my own <clears throat> sin? Okay. Um, like Marty mentioned, um, our the accountability that we had received from our cell group was huge. I also let the ladies know, and I had been talking about it. It, it wasn't like a one-time conversation for me. It's been multiple conversations of, um, I'm struggling you know, in this area. And so the accountability piece from our cell group um, was huge. But it also, um, like Marty said, confession needs to come with repentance. I mean, we, we absolutely need to give grace to our spouse and to ourselves, but we also need to um, come up with a plan. And during that time, um, like I said, I was just hungry for the word. Um, I I was just reading and reading and reading in the New Testament and the gospel and how I am am a sinner and reading through the book of Romans um, and how, how God has forgiven me. And and really, in the New Testament, he commands us to forgive one another. And so um, I know I'm kind of going back to Marty here, but that also helped me move forward in my own sin, I think. Um, and so between just being in the word more and just elevating my view of who God is and what he's done for me and just an overall thankfulness of what he's done for me really helped me move forward in my own life. Um, and kind of gain control of that, but also um, just come up with a plan. So for me, I don't know about any of you ladies but or men um, that, you know, sign up for those Kohl's charge cards and they <laughs> have the 30% off, and then you get the Kohl's cash, so you go back. And it's just kind of, it's so silly, but for some people, it, it's, it's kind of a struggle. It was. It, it's been a struggle. And so 
just eliminating all charge cards, having one account, um, talking with Marty before I make purchases, and, and praying about it. I think it's so common to buy whatever we want, when we want it, in our, in our world, and um, I think that's something worth wrestling over. I think that we, we do whatever we want with our money, because we can, you know, but, um, and I know that's not true for all of us, but it, it was for me, and it's something God is definitely growing me in, and I'm really thankful for that. Um, but yeah, just, I think, having that accountability and uh, making some of those steps that you know um, that could lead you into temptation, into sin, you know, into your sin and your struggle is really wise. Um, just maybe not going to a store that you really struggle with. Maybe it's not doing your grocery shopping at Target, but Walmart online, so you don't have to go in the store, and you know what you're going to spend, but I mean, it's something that we laugh about, but truly, you know, it's it's something where I think um, just having a plan and, and praying about it. God, is this really a need in my life, and is this going to impact um, eternity? You know, I think so often we just go out and do what we want, but we don't really consult God or our spouse or others in the process. You know, sometimes you feel like you're, you're not being a good steward if you don't use that 30% off at Kohl's, right? I mean, it's like right there for you. How can you not spend the money? God must want me to, right? Actually, each of us have something, maybe multiple things that we would fill in that blank with. Maybe it's shopping, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's running to something else. We're all there. I love Pastor Kurt's um, phrase about forgiveness. You can't forgive someone that you think you are better than, right? Maddie, you made a statement the other day that, that has been rattling around in my mind. I haven't forgot it. You said, now I finally feel free, right? You want to explain that to maybe some people that are in front of us that are your friends that maybe feel in bondage to something or someone? Yeah, I mean, I think this, like Marty said, this, is, this has kind of been a deep rooted sin issue for me. It goes years back, um, almost a generational sin, you know, coming just from how I grew up. And um, so this is a deep-rooted sin um, issue for me that's been going on for years, not just since we moved here. I think it amplified or increased since we moved here. But I, I was growing in awareness of my sin. I didn't view it as sin a few, a few years ago. It's just normal. We buy what we need and what we want, and we have the money. I wasn't being excessive, um, but I just we just get what we need and need. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think I was growing an awareness of this is this is becoming a sin and becoming bondage. I was thinking about shopping. I was thinking about you know we bought a house a year and a half ago and oh, what can I fill? I mean, I was kind of obsessing over it some. Like, what do I put on this wall? And, you know, you want to make it homey and everything. But um, I was kind of letting it overtake me some. And, um, yeah, just after God, like, really began doing a work in me and helping me see that, Maddie, this is sin. This is sin, and it's, it's controlling you. It's controlling your thoughts. Um, it's controlling how... You spend your time and your money and your energy and, um, yeah, as, as God was helping me wrestle through that period, he, um, he just, he helped me 
see that you are the only thing that will satisfy. Lord, you are the only thing that will satisfy my longing, this deep longing for materialism and these things. Um, it was found in the Lord, and um, he helped me just see that and, and truly, genuinely, in my heart, experience that. And that's what I, I think he was helping me become free of this bondage, of this sin. Guys, there will be some people that are here this evening and maybe listening online later on that will say, well, Marty is saying, don't work hard. <laughs> and Maddie's saying, don't go shopping. Don't have a nice house. That's not what you're saying, right? That's correct. Marty, you get the last word here this evening. What, what would you say to encourage people um, that may be sitting here struggling with some of the things that you've talked about or filling in that blank with something yeah. else in their life? Yeah. I'm very grateful that God over the last year and a half has done a lot of surgery on my motivations. You know, part of my duty in following God is serving my clients well and being a good steward of what they've trusted me. I would say with the same thing with Maddie, uh, we're learning how to see our resources as being stewards of that. And it doesn't mean you can't enjoy that stuff, but, but what God has been rooting out in us is, is the sin, the way that we're distorting the gifts that he's given us. And I guess the last thing that I would say is, you know, as a man, I always understood leading in my home to be setting up the structure and driving us to follow it. And what God has done in transforming our family has come from God teaching me to be humble and teaching me how to confess and teaching me how to lead in repentance, leading the way there. A lot of things that I wanted to see change in Maddie, couldn't, I couldn't manipulate her out of it. It was God convicting me in my sin and helping me repent and turn that has had the ripple effect of Maddie growing as well, uh, of us being able to demonstrate that to our kids and, and gain freedom from the bondage that happens in our own heart. You know, the, the, all the ways that, uh, the, the secret things I think that we were serving instead of serving God. Um, and we have a long ways to go. <laughs> you know, the, like I said, there's many layers of sin in my life that God's still convicting me on, but there's great hope in seeing growth and in, in seeing them and growth and working through them and, and seeing the processes of how that's happening so yeah guys thank you so much this um we just got to spend a couple minutes with you here tonight but uh the other day we we're just so blessed meredith and i've been married for almost 20 years and and your story touched we were married when we were 12 yeah that's right that's right we got married at the age of 12 um your story touched us. It really did. And we, we see ourselves a little bit in that. And my guess is there's several people out here that see themselves in you. And, and you, um, through scripture and through your identity in Christ and the process and your humility, have given us hope. And we want to say thank you for that. Thank you so much for being uh, humble and authentic and, and for sharing that this evening. Hey, can I pray for you guys and, and for all of us that may be going through something like this here even this evening? Lord, thank you so much for the Demerits. And thank you more, Lord for sending your son Jesus uh, to be the, the, the person of the gospel, the one who initiated, the one who designed, the one who carried out, the one who continues to carry out the gospel in our lives, and the one that we need to find our ultimate identity in. And Lord, whatever we choose to fill in that blank with other than Jesus, Lord, that's an idol. And I pray that there may be one or two here that would have a conversation with their spouse, with someone else tonight, maybe a cell group member or somebody that's close to them that would say, hey, 
You know what? That story that the Demerits told tonight, that's me. I'm right there. It may not be alcohol. It may not be shopping. It may not be working hard, uh, too hard at work. It, it, it may be something completely different, but, but I'm there. And Lord, I pray that we would forgive, that we would find our forgiveness in you ultimately. Thank you, Lord, for Pastor Kurt and the reminder that we can't forgive unless we, we, we realize that we are the worst of sinners. So thanks for that. Lord, thank you for this church, and thanks for what you're doing here. We love you, and we so appreciate who you are in our lives and in this community. In your precious and holy name, amen. Hey, you have a couple of seconds before you have to go get your kids. The Demerits, would you mind sticking around? Maybe there will be some people that would want to talk to you, and um, they'd love to connect with you as well. Otherwise, uh, go grab your kids, I guess.